This is The Rounds Table. All right, welcome back, Rounds Table listeners. Uh, very excited to have you with us. What are we talking about? Uh, I don't know. A little bit about steroids for septic shock, a little bit about goals of care uh, discussions, which, you know, that is somewhat related to the ICU. I'm joined by Dr. Justin Boyle, who is on the other side of his Royal College exam. How does that feel, Justin? Fabulous. Fantastic. <laughs> I know. Trust me. I, I even tell residents, like, I remember it would be days, weeks after I passed that awful exam. And I'd just be like walking down the street and be like, oh my God, that exam is behind me. It just feels so good. So congratulations, Justin. Thank you so much. Yeah, no worries. Okay, no rest for the wicked. Let's put you to work. Um, what article do you want to talk about first? Uh, so first, let's talk about steroids and pneumonia. Perfect. What was the article and what was the research question? Alrighty, so the article was entitled Hydrocortisone in Severe Community Acquired Pneumonia, and it was published uh, in Najm in April 2023. And essentially, these investigators were trying to evaluate whether early treatment with hydrocortisone reduced mortality at 28 days among patients admitted to an intensive care unit for severe community-acquired pneumonia. And why did you find this topic important? I think that this is a really interesting and important research topic because we admit so many patients with pneumonia to hospital, and some of them actually go to the ICU because of how severe their infections are. And we don't really have many good studies looking at, one, the critical care population, but two, if steroids have any benefit in treating individuals that have severe pneumonias. Um, so I think this was really interesting to research. Yeah, I completely agree. And uh, obviously, in the land of COVID, um, if you are hypoxic, and especially if you're going to the ICU, steroids is an absolute game changer. Uh, does that apply to bacterial pneumonia? You know, there's been some studies in both directions, and this study was very much needed. So what was the design? So the design for this study was a double-blind, randomized, controlled superiority trial, and it was conducted over 31 French centers. In particular, the inclusion criteria for the study were really any adult patients greater than 18 that had been admitted to one of the participating ICUs for severe community-acquired pneumonia. And severe really meant, for example, having a very low PF ratio or the amount of FiO2 that they required. And really, any individuals were excluded if they were DNR or were not to be intubated, or if their pneumonia was caused by influenza, or if they specifically had septic shock. Okay, and then the primary outcome? Already. And so the primary outcome for the study was uh, death from any cause by day 28. And there were many different secondary outcomes that they investigated. Yeah, sounds good. So essentially, we have somebody with pneumonia. It ain't influenza. They're you know critically unwell, en route to the ICU. And the question here is steroids versus placebo for all-cause mortality. Is that right? That's correct. All right. And what did the patients look like? So overall, the patients were quite balanced in age composition. So that median age in the study across the placebo and the intervention arm with the hydrocortisone were 67. Beyond that, the study included 70% men and 30% women, and they had similar degrees of comorbidity. So for example, similar degrees of underlying COPD, asthma, and they had similar severity of infection as well, as well as the different types of supplementary oxygen being used. So for example, things such as AIRVO and IPPV, such as BiPAP. And beyond that, however, uh, no specific ethnicities or demographics beyond uh, their illness and age and gender were included within the study. Okay. And what did they find? And specifically, their primary endpoint was um, positive such that um, by day 28, death had occurred in 25 out of 400 patients that received hydrocortisone and 47 of 395 patients in the placebo group. 
Um, and so ultimately for them, this had a p-value of 0.006, or it was a significant finding um, such that you had a mortality benefit if you received hydrocortisone. Okay. And then in terms of safety concerns? Uh, so they looked at a couple different safety criteria, in particular having steroid-induced hyperglycemia or any gastrointestinal bleeding. And ultimately, during the first 28 days after randomization, there was a similar number of adverse events that occurred if you received steroids or if you did not, and if you were within the placebo group. Gotcha. Yeah. And I guess, you know, as residents learn who work with me and soon you'll be at Sinai, p-values are meaningless, right? I I can't make any sense of a p-value. I think what caught my eye the most for this is that the primary outcome occurred 12% in the placebo group and 6% in the hydrocortisone group. Like that's a 6% absolute risk difference, which is incredible. There's almost nothing in medicine that I can think of that provides that level of absolute benefit to patients but anyway, what were the limitations of this study? So I think that there are a couple limitations to consider. And I think that one of them is that there was no sort of standard confirmed microbiologic diagnosis. And that can be hard because most times we don't have a specific culprit for pneumonia in general. And um, that what's interesting is that the subgroup where there was no specific pathogen that was isolated may have been benefited more from the steroids beyond other sort of subgroup analyses. Beyond that, the observed mortality in the control group of sort of 12% was lower than anticipated by the researchers. And so that may relate to a lower severity of illness and expected. But like I mentioned before, the sort of table one population based characteristics were very similar between each group. Another thing I think that we can consider is that there was a small percentage of immunocompromised patients. And so the results should really be a pot of caution in that population. Yeah, that's fair. I don't have any concerns, to be honest, that there's no confirmed microbiologic diagnosis in a decent subset of patients. A, that's real life, but B, it's a randomized trial. So it should be balanced in the two groups. Sure, maybe we're treating some viral stuff when we thought we were treating bacteria, but that'll be balanced in the two. So I won't lose sleep over that. I totally agree with you. This clearly does not apply to patients who are immunocompromised. And then this idea that they observed a lower mortality than what they expected happens all the time, all the time in research this occurs. And I've learned partially that has to do with the fact that the patients who you recruit for studies are almost always healthier. They can still be sick, but healthier uh, than patients who aren't included. And usually they are the ones who have the higher mortality. Anyway, information overload. What is the take-home point here? So the take-home point is that they found that early treatment with hydrocortisone reduced 28-day mortality among patients that were admitted to ICU with severe community-acquired pneumonia. And is this practice changing? I definitely think it's practice changing. I think that, I mean, there have been various studies so far that have shown that steroids are quite beneficial in a variety of conditions, including sepsis, for example, with the surviving sepsis guidelines. But beyond that, I think that it's really cool to see a paper such as a randomized control trial done in an ICU environment. And this is something that I would apply personally if I was to take care of a patient that had severe CAP. Yeah, I completely agree. If my mom and dad are sick with pneumonia and they're going to the ICU... I hope they're getting steroids. And similarly, when I'm seeing sick patients who are ICU bound and my working diagnosis is community-acquired pneumonia, um, this definitely will change my practice. And then just remind the listeners, uh, what type of dose were we talking about for hydrocortisone? Uh, So the dose that they used was 200 milligrams of IV hydrocortisone throughout a 24-hour period. And so um, within the study, they um, gave this to patients as an infusion. Infusion. Okay. And I should have asked you earlier, but was it one single dose or multiple days of steroids? Uh, So it was multiple days of steroids for these patients. So essentially, within the enrollment into the study, they got 200 milligrams 
per day, a total dose for the first four days. And on the fourth day, the medical team decided if they wanted to administer hydrochlorazone for a total of eight or 14 days, uh, depending on whether or not the patient's condition had improved. Gotcha. Cool. All right. Good to know. I think as the internist, I will start them on it and I'll let the ICU doctor clean up from there on out. Anyway. This episode has been brought to you by Sault Ste. Marie Physician Recruitment and Retention Program, aka Sioux Med. Uh, there are multiple different elective opportunities for residents or medical students to spend time in the Sioux, as well as locum opportunities in general medicine, surgical specialties, anesthesia, OB, you name it. If you want to learn more, you can email me at mike.fralick at utoronto.ca or message me on Twitter. Okay, next up, I'm staying in the realm of, you know, uh, critically ill patients or patients who might become critically ill. Uh, This study was published in JAMA entitled Intervention to Promote Communication about Goals of Care for Hospitalized Patients with Serious Illness, a Randomized Controlled Trial from May 2023. And what was their research question? So they really wanted to evaluate whether a communication priming intervention could promote goals of care discussions between clinicians and hospitalized older adults. That's a very important question to try to answer. Why is this important? We know that communication about goals of care with patients and family is important. And as I learned from reading this study, there are other studies that have shown that this can actually improve outcomes, including reduced intensity of care at the end of life. But having said all of that, these conversations are not easy to conduct. They're not often easy to document. And I don't think we do a very good job of documenting them. So those were a couple reasons why this really caught my eye. And plus, it was a randomized trial, which is really impressive for an intervention that isn't a drug or a device. I agree. And what was their study design? So it was a pragmatic, unblinded, randomized trial. Uh, Patients were randomized one-to-one, and it was at three hospitals in the U.S. Um, This included academic uh, hospitals and one community hospital. In terms of the population, so uh, patients could potentially be eligible if they were age 55 and up with at least one of nine chronic diseases such as dementia, cancer, COPD, coronary artery disease, and a few others or if they were over the age of 80. A main exclusion criteria were if a goals of care was already documented, then no, they are not eligible for the study. That that job has been done. Or if there's a palliative care consult, uh, or if these are individuals who are, you know, going to be in hospital for a very short time or for a very long time, more than 96 hours. And the intervention here, like the crux of this was an a physician, healthcare provider, sort of one-pager, this communication priming intervention. I love one-pagers. I think if you can distill something down to one page, it's far more likely to be read and maybe implemented. So um, we will share a link to this uh, with our show notes. But this one-page patient um, specific intervention, it had certain prompts, you know, um, prompts that you could use to guide the goals of care discussion or uh, introduce the goal of care discussion. And this was delivered via email. So like the doctor had said, hey, like use this one pager, uh, or they got paged once saying, hey, you've been randomized to use this one pager, so please go use it. Uh, Comparator was standard of care. And the outcome was a proportion of patients that had an electronic medical record documented goals of care discussion within 30 days. I'll take one more minute just to talk a bit more about what this one pager actually looked like. So, um, you know, step one, it sort of said, give yourself five to 10 minutes. This conversation does not have to be long. Number two, uh, introduce the talk as part of routine care. I really like that, you know, trying to normalize that 
I'm not asking this conversation because I think you're about to die. I'm asking this conversation because I ask this for everyone. Um, and then one of those opening sentences were, you know, I want to know what's important to you so that we can provide the best care to fit your goals. Is that okay? And then thereafter, they had different prompts to suggest um, that they could lead in as they sort of further had that conversation with the patient. That's fantastic. Um, what did their patients look like? So there were just under 4,000 screened, um, 2,500 enrolled, uh, average age of 70, uh, 42% women, 12% um, Black, 6% Hispanic, 12% Asian, and 70% were white. Uh, they also reported uh, English proficiency, which I thought was fantastic and ideal to contextualize the findings. So 15% uh, of patients had limited English proficiency. In terms of their comorbidities, a third had coronary artery disease, a quarter had cancer, and 10% had dementia. And if the patients had dementia, uh, did they include whether or not they were deferred to a substitute decision maker or someone else to have this meeting with? Exactly. Yeah. They also involved this sort of um, a substitute decision maker and had a way of assessing who that might be. Yeah. Great question. And what were the results? So again, this primary outcome were the percentage of patients with a goal of care, goals of care discussion within 30 days. So that was 35% in the intervention group and 31% in the usual care group. So that's like a 4% absolute difference. Uh, maybe not as good as steroids for uh, pneumonia if you're going to the IC with community-acquired pneumonia, but still quite impressive. And then they did uh, subgroup analyses because you also want to ask yourself the question, is there a subgroup where this might be even more effective in. So they found an even larger effect size among uh, individuals who are either racial or ethnic minority, which I thought was an important finding and an ideal one to do a priori. And then they also looked at hard clinical outcomes. So it's one thing to document uh, a goals of care conversation, but did that lead to improved outcomes, less ICU use, more ICU use, um, no difference uh, at 30 days for ICU utilization, for emergency department uh, utilization. Um, so yeah, important to keep that in mind. Definitely. And what were the limitations you found? So of course, the external generalizability to, to non-US sites, but I don't think that's like a, a deal breaker. Uh, I, I'm quite certain that our rates of getting a goal of care conversation documented is probably similar to American sites. Um, I'm curious more about hard clinical endpoints, and that is probably what would be most convincing to me. But the authors appropriately note, like, this is an initial step. And it's important to realize that just because you document goals of care, that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to influence the downstream outcomes. For sure. And uh, what was really the take-home point for this? So for among uh, hospitalized older adults with serious illness, you know, this very pragmatic clinician facing communication priming intervention, as they call it, can really improve documentation of goals of care discussions, as well as having that available. So I think that was a take home point for me. It's like a one pager that I think can be really useful in the clinical setting. I agree completely. It's really hard to sort of initiate these conversations, especially if you're just meeting someone for the first time. And is this practice changing for you? It is. Anyone who's worked with me on team knows I love to hand out one pagers. This will be another one. So I sort of uh, plan to add this to the stack of one pagers. I, I think probably that is not a very sustainable way to sort of implement this. Um, but for me, it's like, this is relatively easy. It's a low hanging fruit. And it's been studied to show that it achieves its goal. So that is enough for me to change practice. 
Anyway, we will move away from goals of care conversations and towards good stuff. Uh, what good stuff caught your eye? Well, I guess it's really in reference to how we started our recording today, but just being really happy for all of my third year resident colleagues in finishing the Royal College and just looking forward to spending a couple months together before we move on to fellowship. Yes, I agree. As I sort of recommend strongly after you've passed your Royal College, like priorities should be book a vacation, somewhere extravagant, somewhere expensive. If you think you should go for two weeks, go for three weeks, okay? Spend money, have fun. You'll never regret it. So congratulations. Thank you. Uh, what about yeah. for you? Yeah, I won't, I won't give you financial advice, but I'll give you lots of vacation <laughs> advice. So, so for me, my research team is creating this tool called um, Paper Scrape. And what Paper Scrape does is using basic natural language processing and a bit of machine learning, we've created this model, which um, sort of is watching Medline, PubMed all the time, looking for high impact journals, and then looking for randomized trials that are relevant to G GIM. And then what it does is it feeds that information into a large language model like ChatGPT, and then provides like a two line summary. So we're calling it paper scrape, we're going to hopefully start rolling it out in the next couple of months. And uh, in version one, you know, you can sign up to the listserv or whatever, and you have an AI model, it's giving you very brief summaries of potentially practice changing randomized trials. Wow, that, that is so handy. <laughs> Yeah, if it comes to fruition, that'll be really exciting. Anyway, Justin, uh, great to connect. Uh, go book that vacation and we'll chat again soon. Will do. The Rounds Table is hosted online at healthydebate.ca. Follow us on Twitter at Rounds Table. Thanks to our audio editors, Emilio Garcia Flores and Arjun Sharma. Also thanks to Amol Verma, founder of The Rounds Table, and Kieran Quinn, the previous director. We'd also like to give a big thanks to Seema Marwaha, Editor-in-Chief at Healthy Debate, for all the support.